What up, what up? It is time for episode 30 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Joe Serralo here, joined by, as always, my man Mackenzie Rivers. And we are coming off arguably the game of the year in the NBA, recording this right after the conclusion of the Milwaukee Bucks win in Brooklyn. Mackenzie, what a game, man. How are you? And what's your initial reaction? I am fantastic. I don't think last year, I don't think there was a better. Uh, time to watch basketball than when it was Giannis in Brooklyn doing everything versus Durant playing a very different style but also doing a lot doing everything and it went right down to the wire game of inches yet again my best two players in basketball arguably by far with Kawhi Leonard out and with Curry showing his age at this point uh, Giannis Kevin Durant what a show Bucks ended up 120 119 winners Nets either pushed if you got the opener or lost against the spread. But uh, more importantly to the Nets situation, they are now in danger. We're going to talk about the game coming up of falling below the Atlanta Hawks in the Eastern Conference standings. Yeah, Nets Hawks now in a dead heat tied in these standings, both 40 and 37. But man, I I can't get enough of this game. I mean, overtime was amazing. I wish we had three or four overtimes watching Giannis out there. Just go to work. Look, we all know the strengths of Giannis's game, right? The way he can penetrate, his presence on defense, his athleticism, leaping, post play, you name it. But how about the fact that he got this game to overtime with a three? I I mean, I would say that it's probably the general consensus that three point shooting is probably the biggest flaw in his game. And not only did he tie it, send it to overtime late in the fourth quarter with that shot, but also became the Bucks' all-time leading scorer with that bucket. I mean, that actually shocked me when I heard that on the broadcast because of how young he is. How incredible is what he's done at such a young age, McKenzie? That is an excellent point because Giannis is firmly in his prime in an era where people play for another 10 years, you know, play into their mid-30s or later. And he's he's achieved something that I don't think people realize how great Kareem was immediately when he entered the league. You might have heard the story. He's one of those players that could have came straight into the NBA, was clearly one of the best players in the world at 18, but had to go to UCLA. Couldn't play his first year, had to play four years there, then got into the league. 29 points per game as a rookie. Michael Jordan, crazy rookie year, just amazing 28.2 for Jordan. I didn't look that up. That's one of those numbers I, I know. The next year, Kareem scores 32. The next year, 24 years old, 35, 17 rebounds, and five assists per game. It's kind of eerie because the way Giannis looks out there, just completely just of another cloth from these other world-class athletes, that was Kareem at 24, 25, 26. Giannis actually just got his team to the mountaintop. Uh, Wait, what am I talking about? Kareem did that freaking three years into the league. So it's, I'm not even, I'm not even going to, this is just two great players and, you know, walking through the halls of time in parallel directions that happen to be wearing the same green. Amazing stuff. I can't give you honest enough credit. Great game. However, I did not like the call to end the game. I think it's kind of a plague in the league where running as fast as you can is like an unbeatable strategy for a lot of these players. Cause yes, If you look in slow motion, Nick Claxton got him. His hands came down. That's a foul. But 
the reason his hands came down is because Giannis runs it at him into the gut. Offensive foul first by the letter of the law. I don't want that called either. But there's a reason why he's underneath the basket getting blocked by Durant. That was like the true nature of that basketball play. If you're playing in the in the park, uh, I don't know why I say that because no one in Chicago says that. I don't even realize park. I think that's normal, but maybe there's an it's a Yale there. thing. I think. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I was, you know, uh, shout out to Tim. Who, uh, worked for the uh, cafeteria staff. Great, great player. Won us to see hoops championship. <laughs> I was a coach. Anyway, uh, it's not. If you're playing on the street, if you're playing with anybody, Durant blocks Giannis's shot out of bounds. That's there's three seconds on the clock. The game's still in the balance. The Bucks can still win it, but they call a foul. Giannis, to his credit, had was been struggling from the free throw line most of the night. Sinks it once, sinks it twice. They take the lead. They win it. Forty-four points. By the way, he's now tied with thirty point one points per game uh, with LeBron. And Embiid had thirty-seven tonight in a loss. He'll be right there. It's it's really coming down to the wire. So, uh, you know, pick your game selectively, uh, everybody. <laughs> I mean, nobody else does this. 14 for 21, 14 rebounds, six assists. He did have eight turnovers. But you know what? I like that. He needed to do what he needed to do to win the game. I'm telling you, there's a difference in in – in uh in the energy when you when it's a must win game and stats don't matter and that was this game that why it was that's why it was the biggest game of the year the bucks felt like they kind of you know a lot of people gave the nets excuses with injuries they felt like man we should have beat the nets anyway we're going to beat them this year we are better we're getting even better and the nets need the game like blood cuz they're tied for 8th ninth in the eastern conference amazing game and here's the stat you need to know giannis had four threes like you mentioned uh, only made one, knocked it down to pass Kareem to tie the game, to go from plus 450 to win the game to even money. He knocks it down. He had taken a three 15 seconds earlier with 40 seconds on the clock. So he took four threes in the game. Two of them were when his team needed it the most. He didn't care. He he felt the moment. He got open. I mean, people are saying, oh, you should give it to your best shooter. Best shooter not necessarily going to get open at the drop of a hat. Giannis can Fade away three to tie. Amazing game. MVP stuff. He's not going to win it. Narrative ain't there. Jokic is probably going to win it at this point. I can bring up, uh, he actually flipped the favorite this week after a recent ESPN poll. Jokic did. But Giannis is the best player in the league, arguably. Uh, and tonight, he has one up on Durant, who did who was kind of quiet early, but he did end up with 11 assists. He played a pretty excellent game as well. Uh, but, you know, Giannis came out, came out on top. Yeah, Jokic making me glad I put a few bucks on him a couple weeks ago at plus 140. That's uh, that's the best value he's had in the past few weeks. His value's only gotten worse uh, for the Jokic better since then. You know, I, I want to touch on a couple things you brought up with Giannis. First off, you know, from a player prop betting perspective, he just showed tonight why he is almost a given. If you want to take a points rebounds over, a points rebounds assists over, I, I mean, his props are just over, over, over to the moon tonight. What was the total? 44, 14, and 6. So you're looking at, what, 64? Uh, I mean, he's absolutely incredible. And, you know, there are very few guys in the league that if you just hit the over on their props every game, you're guaranteed to profit probably two out of three times. And we saw two of them tonight. You know, Giannis and Durant. Durant, ironically, tonight actually didn't hit the over. uh, But Giannis, I, I mean, just absolutely took that ceiling and shattered it tonight. Now, I want to talk about him as an all-timer because I know he's young, but hell, tonight he became the Bucks' all-time leading scorer, so I think it's time to have that conversation. 
But first, a really quick side note. You mentioned that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, when he was a freshman over at UCLA, couldn't play varsity, right? That was when they had the freshman team. When he was a freshman, 1968, he was the second leading freshman scorer in the country. The only guy who was ahead of him, the leading freshman scorer in the country, John Hayes, small forward for St. Bonaventure's freshman team. I've become good (laughs) friends with John Hayes over the past six years. He blew his knee out as a junior, uh, was a part of the Bonnie's Final Four team with Bob Lanier that lost to Artis Gilmore in Jacksonville in 1970. But who could forget? Johnny Hayes, want to give him his uh, his proppers there because if he didn't blow that knee out, I mean, as it was, he had tryouts with the Knicks and Celtics, but if he didn't blow that knee out, man, that guy could score. And he actually beat uh, the, the then Lou Alcinder by a couple points for that freshman title. But now, you know, when we talk about Kareem, right, he is, I think, on every everyone's top five list for all-time NBA players. Mackenzie, would you agree with that? Yes. Where does Giannis stand, in your opinion, right now? And where can you see him standing when things are said and done? All right, let me be very careful about this because people think I'm crazy all the time when I'm talking about the best ever. Um, If you are the best right now, if, if you, I mean, I'm not saying Giannis is that. If you are the best right now, you clearly have a case that you're the best basketball player of all time. There's so many millions, billions more people playing basketball. The game is X, Y, and Z. It's faster. It's, you know, the shooting coaches is better. So that puts you in the conversation. Now, if you do it for a year and then fall off, no one's going to make that argument for you. I wouldn't. You know, Kawhi Leonard did have that moment where if he would have done that four years in a row, I'd probably be making a strong argument that, man, no one's been this good since Jordan. And that says something. But he didn't. He had that one year. Giannis has been putting this string together. And so, look, he could, he could, he clearly could be the best basketball player of all time when it's said and done. He's leading the league in scoring, and he, he's arguably the best de- defensive force in the league, and he's arguably the best, most unstoppable transition force, which goes into the scoring. But he, in my opinion, he's not. In my opinion, his game is, is taking advantage of – uh, you know, kind of a of a gap in the game. I mean, Kevin Durant was on him for a lot of this game. Bruce Bowen was on him. Uh, not Bruce Bowen. Bruce Brown was on him for a lot of the game. So, yeah, it, when you are the last dinosaur, you're going to eat well. And I think your stats are going to, uh, you know, absorb all those, all those, a lot of missed rebounds and a lot of, a lot of, you know, dirty plays that, uh, you know, usually you'd be have to be dealing with Bob Lanier, you know, if you're a St. Bonaventure forward. <laughs> I love it. You gotta be dealing with that 250 pound man, but you're you're not in, at this point for most basketball players. That's why you look at the player efficiency rating, PR stat we talk about all the time on Straight Out of Vegas. Eleven out of thirteen years, Jokic will make it twelve out of fourteen when he repeats. I think eleven out of thirteen years, the leader in player efficiency rating by John Hollinger, PER, won the MVP. So it's pretty telling. I don't think people are looking at the stat even. I just think it's the guy that's doing the most out there. And player efficiency rating is a great way to grade it while penalizing for turnovers and counting for efficiency and all that. And nobody's been doing it like Giannis. I mean, he has the second this year, second of all time player efficiency rating, and third two years ago. That said, this is a great example because I mentioned that Durant played a pretty well good game and Giannis played a pretty good game. Durant played a game in a lot different way, in actually a way that I think if you're building the best bas- basketball team, I think more people play like this, which is if I have the shot, I'm shooting it. And if not, I'm moving it. And I'm, I'm not necessarily taking it down, uh, sprinting down the court with it. If my five guys 
are playing, you know, triangle like basketball or Popovich like basketball, I shouldn't have the ball 50% of the time. There's no way that would work. There's no way my stat line should be the same against every team. That's another thing. If if you're playing different ways, if people are doubling you, you should have different stats. You shouldn't necessarily have 25 shots a game. You shouldn't, I mean, sometimes you need to have 15 shots and zero turnovers. And the key difference between Giannis and these other great players, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Michael Jordan, in my opinion, is that he doesn't have that killer shot. He doesn't have an ability to punish you for taking care of the rest of, of my team. If you know Shaq's a threat down, down low, I can't throw it out to Giannis real quick with two seconds on the shot clock and guarantee myself a great shot. That's what Kobe can bring to a team. So I think that asset, and I've talked about this for a, in a lot, a lot of years, I prefer Larry Bird over Magic Johnson. I prefer Michael Jordan over LeBron James. I prefer guys that are excellent at the most important skill at basketball, in my opinion, which is shooting. I mean, look, it's it's a very understandable take. I personally don't fully agree with you. I agree with you to an extent. I think, though, that there is something to be said for athleticism. And I think that a guy like Giannis, who, and this kind of goes with my argument as to why I'm so in love with LeBron, because it's like they're one of one, right? I mean, physically, there's no one like them. There's no one, you know, their size, these guys, and Magic is another example, the point forward type of ball player, because at that size, you know, you should be, twice your weight sticking your ass into people down in the paint, you know, doing what Charles Barkley was doing, except he was only six, three and three quarters. I mean, you know, a guy like Giannis, a guy like LeBron, a guy like Magic, they have no business bringing the ball up, right? Uh, running point, run, running the team, running the show. And, and so I think I value that in my personal rankings uh, a little more than you, but, but I think we just, you know, have different values in, in our personal rankings. You know, I think Giannis right now is a top 20 player of all time. And to say top five potential, that's high praise. I, I mean, especially when it's like... I mean, what if he's 26? What if he wins eight championships between now and 36? Like, one of, like it's very possible. I mean, it's not likely, but he definitely has the, has the potential. I, I mean, mean, if he wins eight championships, it's like he's, he's the GOAT, you know? <laughs> I mean, at that point. But, but I'm saying he could play this way, this well, and, you know, with the right circumstances, win eight yeah. championships. So I think he's... I, I think top 20 right now with, with yeah. what he's done is fair. I think that's inarguable. I, I think top 20 right now. And I think, you know, shoe in is, is a strong term, but I think he, when it's all said and done, barring something drastic should be a shoe in for top 10. Now, you know, top five, top three beyond that, you know, goat that obviously is still TBD. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to be the goat when you shoot free throws as poorly as he does. And, and tonight, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. you know, right. tonight he, he, he recovered and he hit those two clutch free throws for the win late in the game. Um, but when you shoot from the free throw line and from the perimeter as poorly as he does, it's, it's hard to be the goat. And, you know, to me, it's like LeBron, obviously free throw shooting has been probably his biggest weakness throughout his career, but you've seen an ascension. You've seen an improvement consistently perimeter shooting, free throw shooting for LeBron from start to where he is now. Uh, and you know, Giannis is still a baby, right? 26 is a pro athlete. I mean, maybe things are different nowadays. You see younger athletes bursting onto the scene. The Mahomes is the Giannis is. But when I grew up, it was like, and I'm 23, so I'm talking like 10 years ago, the understanding was that an athlete's prime is 28 to 32. Maybe now it's more like 26 to 30, but that was always the understanding. 28 to 32 is an athlete's prime. So in that sense, Giannis is a baby. And the fact that he's already considered top 20 all time, I think by maybe not everyone, but I would say most people in basketball. I mean, you know, the sky's the limit, right? 
if LeBron would have done this for 10 years straight, I don't think I would have a leg to stand on with, with, my, with my pessimism. In 2013, 41% from range for LeBron James, the best athlete in the world at that time, maybe even now, eight rebounds, seven assists, 27 points, but 41% from three. Even, even a skeptic like me had to say, wow. Best bas- best basketball player in the world. Although by the playoffs, I had I had my Kevin Durant's arguments ready, but no, LeBron had a year to remember in 2013. Unbelievable that he could he could improve that much at, at his craft. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this guy was already he was the crown jewel. He was the golden child the second he walked into the league, and you know that's part of why I respect and love LeBron so much is that he didn't let it get to him. You know, he didn't Zion. He didn't Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> yep. He uh, he he worked on his game and you know got better and to the point where. When he got to the Lakers his first year, took on an entirely new position, right? Ran point and, well, his second year, I should say, ran point, won a title. Uh, to me, that's that's next level shit right there. Let's get into some games. You know, we, we're talking about the Bucks nets Let's talk about some upcoming games. Let's talk about some bets, folks. We've got Saturday night action. Incredible NBA slate Friday night, Saturday night. I, I mean, you better be glued to the NBA. And if not, you better have a damn good excuse the next two nights. Brooklyn. In Atlanta, we already said it, both teams 40 and 37 tied in the Eastern Conference standings. Mackenzie, what are you projecting here as an early line for this one on Saturday? I'm projecting both teams off two days rest. Hawks won today. Nets lost today. Nets minus two and a half at Atlanta. What what are your thoughts about that line? You think you think that sounds about right? What are your thoughts about the game? Um, I think it sounds you know, it's tough because normally I would say right now the way the Nets are playing, that, that might sound a little light, but the Hawks are playing hot as hell too. I, I mean, you know, you've got two teams. I know the Nets obviously are coming off this loss to Milwaukee in a game that, you know, they were up seven or nine points in the final few minutes of the fourth quarter, but they're still playing damn good basketball. And in my opinion, you know, this loss came to the best team in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks, right? I've been saying all, all year, they're my best team in the Eastern Conference. So two teams playing well above their record, well above their spot in the standings. You could argue these teams right now are, you know, both top five in the East. I mean, the argument's easier to make for the Nets right now with Kyrie full-time, but as of late, I mean, the Hawks are playing better than the Bulls, better than the Heat even in the last two weeks, better than the Cavs. Um, So two and a half, I I think it makes sense. You know, it's interesting because the Nets, we've been talking about them so much and Fade the Nets at home. It worked for my best bet last episode. I took Detroit plus 13. It was plus 14 um, right before tip-off, even 14 and a half, depending on the book. And the Pistons covered with ease. They were leading by about seven at halftime. For as bad as the Nets have been at home against the spread, they've covered 58% of their road games and 57% as road favorites. So, you know, two and a half, that's one of those really tight numbers where it's like, all right, you're probably at a two and a half point spread. You're probably going to bet on the team that you think is going to win outright, right? Not too many people are are taking a team plus two and a half thinking that they're going to, you know, lose by one or two in this situation. So, you know, the Nets are covering on the road. They're winning games as of late. If you think they're going to win this one outright, you're probably taking a minus the two and a half. Uh, Hawks at home, a little above 500 against the spread, 20 and 18. But as an underdog this season, and this is what worries me in this game, 9 and 19 against the spread. That is the third worst mark in the NBA as an underdog for any team. You know, you figure Trey's been hot as hell. Kyrie kind of cancels him out. It's like, you know, at this point, the Hawks aren't much of a defensive unit. And I feel like you have to be to contend with Brooklyn. So 
I'm leaning Nets minus your two and a half point projection. You mentioned the Hawks 50-50 at home. That's actually uh, pretty good in the NBA. Talking about the Nets, we've talked about it before. Terrible at home. Lost another heartbreaker tonight. By the way, if you just bet every road team, you're not profitable this year. Don't don't get crazy and don't do that. Don't bet blindly. But you're 41 games above 500, 588 winners, 547 losers, not counting the Bucks or any of the road teams that took care of business tonight. I just don't think home court matters as much as bookmakers or fans. And I regretted this making a bet on the Celtics yesterday because I'm like, man, I think the Celtics are a better team. But I'm just giving away two points because the Heat do not care about being in Boston. The Celtics are not particularly advantaged. Uh, Philly, historically, very little home court advantage. In Atlanta, I think there's plenty of Nets fans. There's plenty of Kevin Durant fans that are going to that building and are going to be hype. He might get some booze. He might play better with some booze or with some old heads out in Atlanta talking whatever Kevin Durant will. I don't think it matters. I think this is a neutral court game with it meaning so much to the standings. That's why the Nets are my best bet. Uh, I'll play it up to, let's say, four, uh, which would be surprising to me if it got that high. But uh, you you never know. So I want to get a bettable number up to four. This is how good the Nets are. You mentioned the Bucs, probably the best team in the East. I don't think a lot of people would argue with that. With the terrible home court advantage, the Nets were two-point favorites tonight. They opened about a pick and they were up to minus two by game time. Home court at least, I mean, you can't argue it's much more than two. That's probably the maximum you can give it at this point. So they were. So the market was saying, maybe because they needed it more, there's other factors. The Nets were as good as the best team in the East already before Ben Simmons gets there without fully integrating Drummond and Curry. So the Nets are a very good team. They're ascending. They've been great on the road. You mentioned it, 57%. Uh, as road favorites, was it? Yeah, 57% as road favorites, 58% as a road team. Yes, exactly. This is my kind of spot for the better team to shrug off being on the road, awful loss, get back on the right track, critical game, playoff level game. I like the Brooklyn Nets to get it done up to four. I'm thinking it's going to be less than that, but minus two and a half, best bet. McKenzie, my man, great minds think alike. There's a reason we're tied with each other right now. We're neck and neck in those best bet standings. Uh, This was the other game I was going back and forth with for my best bet. It it was the game that I ultimately chose that we will get to, and it was the Brooklyn Nets minus two and a half. I'm with you. No argument there. Um, You know, to me, these are two teams that don't play a whole lot of defense. Like I said earlier, it's essentially going to be two on one when it comes to, you know, dynamic, take the game over type scores. My man, I'm with you. Another Saturday night game headed to McKenzie's hometown, to Chi-Town. We've got the Heat. We've got the Bulls. McKenzie. Are you projecting this one? Is this right? The Heat minus one? You, you think it's uh, your projections have it at almost to pick them? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the Bulls, the Heat are clearly the better team. They've been reeling. They got, a, they got a big win. The Bulls have been terrible, like bottom five in every category the last 30 days. But market doesn't, doesn't just completely forget about how you know much better than expectations they were up until that point of the season. So for some perspective, the Bulls were two and a half point favorites tonight. Uh, Thursday night against the Clippers. Crazy win. Crazy comeback. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very. I was thinking I was kicking myself the entire game that I didn't bet the Clippers. And then I was just, man, I, I still hurt the same. I was still like, I mean, I, I felt for the guy that had the perfect handicap, in my opinion, Paul George back. Bulls aren't, haven't been good. I guess it wasn't the perfect handicap because they got there in the end. But they were saying they were even teams to Paul George and the Clippers. So 
that's above average. It's an above average team. The Heat on the road, they'll be favored, but not by that much. I mean, look, definitely not a perfect handicap, obviously, the way things uh, turned out. But I'd say it's a pretty good one. It it took a DeMar DeRozan 50-piece for the Bulls to win this game by five in overtime. So, you know, I mean, I would definitely say the Clippers played a better game, but DeMar ultimately took over. And, you know, it's what we talk about all the time with the Bulls, right? You can win games like this in the regular season. You're not winning 135, 130 come the playoffs, and that's when the Bulls are going to be in major major trouble so look you got two teams here ailing against the spread last two weeks the heat are four and four straight up two and six against the spread they've actually covered two in a row to snap a six game uh coverless streak uh and the bulls i mean you want to go deeper than two weeks here let's go over a month the bulls since the all-star break seven and eleven straight up way down from where they were they had a three-game lead in the division over the milwaukee bucks who were then in third place uh, 7-11 straight up, 6-12 and against the spread, and that's with tonight's updated numbers with the Clippers game. The Heat cover over 62% of the time on the road, and with both two to three days off and with a rest advantage, they cover 57% of the time under both of those categories. Now, we just mentioned the Atlanta Hawks being terrible as an underdog, 9-19 and against the spread. The Chicago Bulls are 10-20 and against the spread as an underdog. So pay attention to where this one comes out. Heat should be favored in this one. The Bulls 10 and 20 against the spread as a dog. That is the fourth worst mark in the NBA. But, and I guess if you like the Bulls, this could be your little rebuttal. The Bulls are the best team against the spread at home. They are 25 now with tonight's win, 25 and 12 against the spread at home. The best home cover mark in the NBA. So That could be your one, but I will say those numbers have been a little more pedestrian as of late compared to, you know, covering two out of every three at home. They're eight out of their last 13, just three out of their last five. So, you know, while 60% technically three out of five is respectable in a larger sample size, they've come back down to earth a little bit. And because of that, and because of how bad they are as underdogs, and because of just how bad they've been for a month and a half or five weeks, the Miami Heat minus one, McKenzie, are my best bet. You know, the Heat really burned me a couple episodes ago. I took a minus five against the Knicks. That one opened at minus five, closed at minus nine, up 17 going into the fourth quarter, lost by six. The Heat burned me. Every now and then, Heat will burn you. But I've got them in this one. My best bet, minus one. They've now won two in a row. They've covered two in a row. They seem to be back on track. Jimmy Butler has put the league on notice. So I'm going back to the Heat here as favorites, and I'm riding with them minus one up to Minus two and a half as my best bet. I like it. It's a bet for me. Uh, hope, hopefully it comes out at minus one and not minus three and a half, making me look foolish and making a, a more tough decision. But I think it's not going to get that high. Uh, Jimmy Butler, 15 and nine versus DeRozan. You mentioned miracle win, down by 10 most of the game, forced overtime. DeRozan needed 50 points to do that. Jimmy Butler's not going to let him do that, only averaging 22 against him on only from range and only 45% from the field. So I think Jimmy Butler is a great matchup for him. I like having a road favorite. Like I said, 51.1% is not nothing because I was saying that at the beginning of the season and I was saying that last year and it just year after year, you're making a mistake if you're betting home teams, but you know why people do? Because people like to bet games that they go to and people like to cheer on games down the street and be rooting. And that is just, uh, it's a losing uh, way to be. 
I mean, if you're not betting things that actually will affect the game, but you're betting how you want to feel, uh, that's often a way to uh, lose money. And most people that bet sports don't bet 51.1% because most people bet a lot of home teams. I like another road favorite here. I like Miami. That's a bet for me. Yeah, you know, it's funny, though. The Bulls, like I mentioned, you know, and this is the one, you know, angle if you want to go against me here, if you want to fade me, do it at your own risk. The Bulls are the best home cover team in the NBA. How about the second best home cover team in the NBA? The Memphis Grizzlies, McKenzie. We've got some Friday night action. The Suns at the Grizzlies. And this is a pretty interesting case. The Suns are currently, depending on the book, minus seven, minus seven and a half. Uh, But if you look some places, I don't know if by the time this episode is out, if this will still be the case. But as we're recording this, some places will tell you the Suns are minus two and a half right now, even though they're really minus seven, seven and a half. So Mackenzie, do you want to get into what the hell's going on with this line? Yes. Let me get into the particulars. This is questions that I get often. Uh, pregame.com, company that I work for, is my favorite aggregator of sportsbook information. Who bet what, what the percentage are, cash splits, uh, what the first half, second half, first quarter bets are. Uh, all that stuff is very easy to find in one place, such as pregame.com. Now, if you look at pregame.com, now bet online just adjusted, but it says Bovada minus two and a half. Now, uh, our our feed is 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 wrong there because if you go to Bovada, it, it's no line. Well, we don't always want to be taking lines on and off the screen all the time. So usually if a line is taken off, uh, our feed remains up and that's the line. However, if you went to bet online and you tried to bet it at four and a half, oh, it's, it's only four and a half there. Uh, they had taken theirs off the screen. And DraftKings was the only one up, and it said seven. So if you're looking at a particular time about half an hour ago, uh, it said Bovada two and a half, Bet Online four and a half, DraftKings seven. Usually, this is an information move. Bet Online and Bovada got word. Actually, they probably didn't get word. They probably got a few big bets on the Suns here, and they said, "What's going on? Somebody knows something. We're taking this down." DraftKings happened to be the first one up with the new information, and that new information is. Jaron Jackson Jr., not going to be there. Desmond Bain, not going to be there. Steven Adams, doubtful. John Morant will not be making his return. So it seems to me that the Grizzlies are sending a very clear signal here. They're waving the white flag. This one isn't for us. We're really likely to get the second seed at this point. Sun's likely to get the first seed, but they just dominate every game. We've been talking about that. So this makes sense to me. The line move makes sense. Uh, When it came out, the Suns were... You know, four points better, four and a half points better than the Grizzlies. That made sense to me. That's right where I had it. Uh, When it found out that none of the Grizzlies were going to be at the game, we found out that the Suns, with the new information, are about 10 points better than the Grizzlies. If that, uh, I see one-way traffic here, but uh, the number definitely scares me, especially because the Grizzlies have so many guys. They might have guys we don't even know about because we've talked about it upgraded to 17-2 and Without John Morant, when they beat the Spurs yesterday, sixteen and three against the spread. That's just the, that's just that's just their MVP candidate. That's just their All Star that they don't need to continue to win games. They won a bunch of games last year without Jaron Jackson Jr., who I thought coming into the season was the best Memphis Grizzly. I was wrong about that. Mia Culpa, John Morant, you know, come on, scoring twenty eight points a game on great efficiency. But Jaron Jackson Jr. is a very important piece for them, and. I think I think even more than his talent, what they're saying by taking all these doubtful guys or questionable guys and making them doubtful or out is that they're just not. This is this is a scheduled loss for the Grizzlies. Yeah, goddamn man. The more uh, the, the more that the Grizzlies keep winning without John Morant, it's like uh, uh, the more my argument about him being the MVP becomes invalid. Obviously, 
you know, with the injury, it's uh, it's invalid anyway. I was more wrong. <laughs> you saying that he was the MVP and then maybe the Grizzlies are good enough where he's not, that's pretty wrong. I mean, that's that's incorrect. But saying that Jaron Jackson Jr. was the best Memphis Grizzly when we have like a future Hall of Famer <laughs> on his side, that was that was more wrong. Potential face of the league in a few years. I mean, look, I know, you know, Giannis, Giannis and Durant still have time, but to me, it's like Ja screams face of the league more than Trey, more than Luka. If you look at those really young point guards, but back to this game, you know, Suns minus seven. When I first saw that, I'm like, oh my God, hammer the Grizzlies plus seven. Debated, you know, Grizzlies plus seven is my best bet. Do I think they're going to win this game? No. You know, I, I think Phoenix, you know, like we've said, they're head and shoulders above everyone else, right? There's the Phoenix Suns and then there's the rest of the NBA. But I'm thinking seven points, the way Memphis has been playing at home where they're the second best home cover team in the league, you got to do it. And then we saw Desmond Bain out, Jaron Jackson out. Obviously, Ja is out. Steven Adams, right? Him as well? Yeah, Steven Adams, doubtful. Without all those guys, I'm sorry, like, D'Anthony Melton is not just going to go shot for shot with Devin Booker and put up 50 and, and keep Memphis in this single-handedly. Uh, Brandon Clark, great, you know, looks great if you look at PER. I think he's an outlier in that category, though, and why PER can be flawed at times. Uh, it's, yeah, to me, I'm not betting this one, but the only play would probably be Phoenix, uh, especially you know, look for them to bounce back. Obviously, Mikael Bridges uh, going one for two at the free throw line when they were minus four and a half and they won by four. That was a mm-hmm. that was a killer. I did have Phoenix minus four and a half, but never get mad at players. Their job's to win games, not to cover. And Bridges, funny enough, went to Instagram and uh, acknowledged that uh, he felt bad for all the Suns minus four and a half betters after the game. So good on him. <laughs> Good on That's him crazy. for acknowledging that one. Look, like I said, these guys, their jobs to win games. You know, anyone who who goes to social media to yell at players or you know threat threaten players or <laughs> you know you're, you're an idiot if you're doing that, right? These guys are doing their jobs. Um, but yeah, the only bet in this one, even though to stay away from me, would have to be Suns minus seven, just because it's like who the hell does Memphis have? I agree with you, and I realize that we shouldn't have uh, did best bet, best bet, then lean. So I do want to give you guys something to bet. And I do think this was a play that's going to get there. Suns in the first half. So the line's not out yet, but Suns minus four is probably where it's going to be, where it's going to settle by the time this line gets probably floated up even a little bit more by tomorrow. So Suns minus four in the first half. They're an excellent four, first half team. And against, you know, some shuffled lineups, I think the Grizzlies probably have a slow start here. By the way, I also had uh, you know a pizza bet, but still a bet on the Suns first. I mean, for the Suns for the game, I had minus four and a half with the Warriors. Heartbreaker, eh, you know, it happens. You got you got to if it, if it won, I would have been like, yep, I knew they were going to foul out. So yep, you know. So uh, the thing about what you just said though is, is fascinating because within a couple hours of the game, he probably within a couple minutes of the shot, probably before the game, and this is something I've always been fascinated about. To what degree, and it's probably changing as legalization happens with sports betting, to what degree do players know the line and to what degree do they care? I'm sure some wouldn't care at all. Some might even take sick pleasure. I can imagine Kyrie Irving taking sick pleasure and being like, yes, you would bet on our on our art form. You should lose. Oh, Kevin Durant does. Kevin Durant is like on the record saying that, yeah, you know, like I, I don't give a shit about your bets. Yeah, and, he, and they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. I mean – some some football coaches have the theory that if I win, my boosters are going to be happy because my boosters are going to bet on my team. And just generally, you know, it's nice to, you know, cash for those that believe to you, I would think. But if you had a different perspective, I mean, you have very concrete goals. 
I just think it's fascinating where it goes. I mean, with player props, I, hey, coach, let me get back in. I only got 26. I need 26 and a half. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, it absolutely is. So just to reiterate, best bets, McKenzie on the Nets minus two and a half in Atlanta Saturday night up to four. I'm on the Heat minus one uh, in Chicago Saturday night up to minus two and a half, minus three even we'll call it, but one to two and a half, really my sweet spot. Guys, that does it. This is episode 30. Can't believe we're already there of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition with myself, Joe Serralo, and my man, Mackenzie Rivers. Thanks so much for tuning in. Go make some money. <laughs>